And what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at some of the prophecies that we find in the Old Testament about Jesus. Uh, prophecies of a coming king, prophecies of uh, a Messiah that was to come. And I, I've really been excited uh, uh, about preparing for this. I, I told our staff several weeks ago that, that this was the direction I wanted to go. I just thought, you know, it'd be really cool just to take a look at what the Old Testament says about the birth of Christ and, and maybe look at something a little differently than we ever had before. I thought it was a really good idea until I began to prepare uh, for the, the series and found out it was going to require a lot more time and a lot more study and a lot more work than I had originally uh, anticipated, but I'm excited to be able to uh, go through this with you. I believe it'll be a powerful time of us having a better understanding of who the King of Kings is and how incredible, how, how amazing that his birth uh, actually was as we go through that. And, and if you're here today and you've been a Christian for a while, I mean, uh, a lot of us grew up in church. I always said, you know, I've, I've been in church ever since I was born. And so some of you here are like that and have been blessed in that way. Uh, but there are things for those of us that have just been around the church all of our lives that I believe we just take for granted uh, when it comes to Scripture. I mean, if you look at some of the things uh, that we believe in Scripture, you know, some of it's kind of crazy. Some of it's kind of odd. Some of it's kind of weird. Some of the things that we say that we believe are, are really not that easy to believe. And so I think maybe sometimes as Christians, we just take for granted some of the things that we believe because we've always heard it. We've always been around it. Uh, I mean, just, you know, think about the Christmas story that we looked at last week as we begin to unpack that uh, in Luke chapter two. I mean, think about it. We, we, we have these plays. We have this celebration. We tell this story of shepherds, right, that are watching their sheep. And then all of these angels appear, you know, a host of angels, and just this crazy, crazy scene, this crazy thing that, that we uh, read about in Scripture and we tell stories about. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen any angels other than the ones that are in the Christmas play, right? And, and so, you know, we just, we just kind of believe that. We look at the wise men in the story, and, and, and what are they doing? Well, they're using a star for GPS, Right? I mean, they're using a star uh, as their navigational system, you know, as their Siri or whatever it, it is. And, and, and so, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, I look at the, I go outside at night and I look up at the stars and I'm like, holy cow, which star did they know to look at? And how do you even follow one of those? You know, but some way, somehow, you know, I've been raised in the church all my life. That's what they told me in Sunday school. And so I've been saying it ever since. And so that's, you know, that's how it is. You know, think about this a woman with no husband, who is a virgin, gets pregnant. I, it's hard to buy that, right? I mean, that goes, totally goes against science. That totally goes against, you know, everything that we know. And then not only that, but she's claiming she's pregnant and God made her that way, right? God made her pregnant. And the baby, think about the baby, that baby that's laying in the manger. We look at that baby and say, oh, that was God. In the manger, that's, that's God. That little baby that you see in the manger, that's God. And, and oh, by the way, that's also God's son. <laughs> yeah. 
Charles has been in the church all his life, too. He's heard the same stories I have. And so, and then you, you move on from that, and you go into the resurrection, and you have this baby that grows up and lives here for 33 years that's God and God's son, and he grows up to be murdered, and then three days later, he's, a, he's alive again, right? I mean, he, he rose from the dead. And, and so, you know, can you understand how Someone on the outside looking in would look at all this and go, mm, yep, <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, so, so I understand how Christianity from someone that has not been raised this way and brought up learning and being taught all these things, it, it can be difficult. I mean, it can be unbelievable at times because in so many ways it really is unbelievable. Right, And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is kind of unpack all this. It's kind of take a look at, at this. So number one, us Christians that are already saved and have been brought up in this and, and, and believe this, uh, you know, number one, that we might have a better understanding of just how incredible this actually is and, and why we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But number two, so that maybe someone that comes through our doors today or over the next few weeks uh, that may be on the fence about this whole Christianity deal, because honestly, it's just hard to swallow. It's hard to believe that they might see it in a way or, or a new way that they would be able to place their faith in this story and in this Savior that we celebrate and we worship. So over the next few weeks, that's what I want us to do. I want us to, to look at how we can see Jesus, how we can see the Messiah, how we can see our Savior all throughout history, all right, and all throughout the Bible, we, we, can, we can see Jesus. I think it'll be very enlightening and, and a lot of fun as we unpack these prophecies of Jesus and see that it truly did. It, it came uh, to pass. And so this morning, I want us to begin here in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 18. And, and, and what's happening here, just kind of set the context of what's taking place here uh, in chapter 18, is that Moses is basically giving his farewell speech to uh, the nation of Israel. Okay, he's, Moses uh, has sinned, he's committed uh, moral failure uh, as their leader, and because of that, he's not going to be able to go into the promised land uh, with the Israelites. And so here in chapter 18, basically what Moses is doing is he's giving this farewell speech, he's giving them some very important uh, instructions, and then we're going to see that he makes this amazing prophecy, this incredible prediction uh, while he does this. So let's pick it up at verse 9, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 9 this morning. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations that are there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Verse number 12, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Verse 14, the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Verse 15, here's the key to this. The Lord your God 
will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Now, some scholars will say that Moses here could be speaking about all of the prophets uh, that were to come after him, right? That it could have been all the prophets that were called by God and put in God to share some of the prophecies that we're going to be looking at, uh, to speak on his behalf, to share the word of the Lord that come after him. But for the most part, uh, this reference here to the prophet is not a plural term. It's a singular term. And most scholars say that this is, the, that, uh, is primarily intended as the promise of Christ, that it's the clearest promise of him that we have anywhere uh, from Moses and throughout the law of Moses. In fact, we see over in John, the gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, after the people saw all the signs and wonders that Jesus had done, after they had seen him perform all of these miracles, they said, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And that was a reference back to this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, because they had the Old Testament at that time, right? They had these scriptures available to them at that time. And so when they saw Jesus and saw the miracles and the wonders that he performed, they go, ah, I learned about this in Sunday school. Deuteronomy chapter 18 said, Moses said there was one coming like this. Surely this, this must be him. This must be the prophet. And, and so Moses basically uh, is saying here, you know what? There are a lot of people out here, out there who are seeking a lot of things and a lot of people that aren't the truth. That's what he's leading into this with, right? Uh, he's warning against false religions because we know that it's human nature's uh, uh, instinct to want to own or, or not own, to understand and believe in something divine, something that is greater, a different power that is in effect in this world. And so uh, Moses is saying, listen, we understand that is out there, but he warns against a lot of this, the false religions. He warns against false prophets. He warns against evil spirits and magicians. Basically, he's saying here, listen, God cannot be found through horoscopes. God cannot be found through Ouija boards. He can't be found through palm readers who claim to have these special powers. He says, these things are detestable to God, but there is one coming that you better listen to, right? There's one coming that you should listen to. So, here's the deal. How do we know who that person actually is that Moses is talking about? How do we know? Because honestly, there have been a lot of people that have become between Moses and between us right now. I mean, there's been a lot of people that have claimed to represent God throughout history. I mean, think about it. People like Muhammad, people like Joseph Smith, People like Jim Jones. The list is long, a long list of people that, want, that say they speak on behalf of God or, or, or represent God. So how do we know who to listen to? How do we know who's fake and how do we know who is legit? Well, that's a great question. And the reason I know it's a great question, because if you read on down here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we see that question in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Now, you may say to yourselves, how can we know? How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? 
How do we know who to listen to? And, and, and how do we know who to, you know, not listen to? Well, in verse 22, Moses tells us this. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or it doesn't come true, that's a message that the Lord has not spoken, right? That's how we can know. This is huge to our faith, folks. This is huge to our belief in, in Christianity, the way that God would show us that it was actually him, the way that he would show us that it was him speaking were through these prophecies that would be fulfilled all throughout Scripture. That's how he would prove himself to us. It's through his word and the promise of his word. Uh, are you kidding me? If I have tore up another one of these, I, I will be fired by the board. Just so y'all know, I'm hard on them. If it does it again, I'll get another mic. I know that's distracting. But anyway, anyone that is speaking on behalf of God, listen. No, number one, their words should align with God's word. If you hear anybody preaching, speaking, speaking on behalf of God, and what they're saying does not line up with the word of God, run. All right, that, that's the number one way, right? And number two, what it's saying here is any prophecies or predictions that they make, it will come to pass. And I'm just thinking about who I've said I thought would be the next coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, and if I'm not right, what does that say about me? I don't even know. I'm not a prophet, so there you go. That's what I'm not, so I'm not a prophet. Uh, but I hear the Gus bus is rolling. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, the, but the prophecies that we see in, in the Bible, right, declaring, you know, that these things that there was no way anybody could know, right? These prophecies that we see throughout Scripture that no one could even ha have manufactured and, and made up, and, and then to see them come true, well, it came to pass. It really did. And part of the reason we can believe in the Bible is because of this. Listen, we see how very specific these prophecies were. All right, how specific uh, prophecies came true about Jesus. And don't miss this. This is why this has been such a struggle uh, to prepare for. Scholars say that there were right around 322 direct prophecies given in the Old Testament about Jesus. I had no idea. I've been raised in the church all my life. I've read the entire Bible. I never realized that there were 322 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled about Jesus. And let me, uh, I'm going to get fired. Red. Better? Better. Maybe this one will work. But anyway, there were 322 the, uh, prophecies uh, uh, given in the Old Testament about Jesus. And, and like I said, they were very specific. These weren't prophecies that were very vague so that they could just accidentally happen, right? They were specific prophecies, prophecies like this. There were prophecies in the Old Testament about where he would be born. Right? He was born, he, he was to be born in Bethlehem. We find that in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. The prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem, that happened. The prophecy about how he would be crucified in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, that he would have his hands and his feet pierced, that happened. 
uh, the prophecy that he would be crucified with other criminals. In Isaiah 53 and verse 12, that happened. In Psalm 22 and verse 18, we see that his executioners who killed him would later uh, gamble for his clothes. That happened. Uh, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver and that the silver uh, would be used to purchase a potter's field. We read about that prophecy in the book of Zechariah, chapter 11, verse 13. That happened. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25, tells us that he would be born, listen, 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes. Now, can you get any more specific than that? It happened. It happened. Prophecies that he would be buried with the rich were in Isaiah 53.9. That happened. Prophecy in Psalm 16.10 that he would rise again. And it all happened. It came to pass. And there's about 310 more that I could give you this morning if you've got the time. <clears throat> I don't think we do. But anyway, we're going to be looking at these over the next several weeks. And some people would say, oh, you know what? He just got lucky. He, he, he just got lucky. Are you kidding me? How do you just get lucky and, and be the one person that answers 322 prophecies that were made hundreds of years before you ever live? How, how does that even happen? I found this research that was done for all you skeptics out there today. I want you to listen to this. A fellow by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner. He was a professor of uh, emeritus of science at Westmont College. I can't even say his title. He's so smart, I don't even know what he is. But anyway, he did this statistical study uh, on the probability that all the prophecies of Jesus that were found in the Old Testament, that they could be fulfilled by one man. He wanted to see what the odds of that were uh, actually happening. It says he studied each prophecy. He used the most conservative uh, probabilities that it all could have come true in one person's life. When he put all the data together, he found, statistically speaking, that the odds of all 322 prophecies being fulfilled through one person in this world and all coming together, the odds of that would be one out of ten to the 157th power. That's a huge number. That's the odds of this happening. Now, and sure, you can question that if you want to. You can question his study. You can question his math. He knew people would do that. And so he sent his math to be checked by a peer review of people from the American Scientific Affiliation. And who, by the way, didn't necessarily agree with him that Jesus uh, is the Son of God, but they did confirm that his statistical analysis and his math was dead on. It was completely accurate. Now, I just want to give you a, kind of an idea of the size of that number this morning, but I'm going to have to do it on a much smaller scale, I believe, so that we can see it. Uh, let's say the chance, instead of 1 out of 10 to the 157th power, let's say it was 1 out of 10 to the 16th power. Let me tell you what that would look like. You could cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. Okay? And then you could take one of those coins somewhere in that stack covering Texas two feet deep. You could take one of those coins and make a mark on it. 
then you could take a man from Mexico or some surrounding area, catapult him into the state of Texas, and the first coin that he picked up would be the one that had the mark. The odds of that happening are 1 of 10 to the 16th power. The odds of all of these prophecies being fulfilled by one man are 1 to the 10th to the 157th power. All right? But yet, there are still doubters. <laughs> there are still people who doubt this. Some of them will say, well, you know, Jesus knew what the Old Testament prophecies were. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was very knowledgeable and he knew the scripture and he debated with the teachers. And so Jesus would have known all the Old Testament and, and known it well. And so he could have read them. He could have known them. And then he could have done those things as he lived his life to make sure he checked all the boxes, right? Well, let's see here. The next, uh, the next prophecy that I see here is that I will ride a donkey uh, into Jerusalem and get crucified. Okay, I got to check that one off. That's one that I can do, right? And some people believe that's kind of how it worked, and that's how he did it. Listen, that line of logic doesn't work for several reasons. First of all, the same man that rode in on that donkey, the prophecy said that he had to be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Jesse and David. So he had to be a descendant of all those. And there's also this. Prophecy also said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Did Jesus have any way of dictating where his mama was going to be when she had him? Right? I mean, he was in her belly. Right? And so, it, you know, Jesus would have had no control over that. He, he had to fulfill the hundreds, right, that were out of his control before he could do the very few that, that were in his control. And besides that, think about this. Some of the prophecies that were fulfilled were actually fulfilled by his enemies, like the ones who gambled for his garments. Right? A lot of the prophecies that were fulfilled were fulfilled by the people who were trying to kill him and how they tried to kill him and, and how he was killed, right? And so they would have never agreed to any agenda that Jesus had trying to check the boxes so that he could make all these 322 prophecies uh, come true, especially after his death. He had no control. And then there are those that would say, well, the disciples or the other followers of Jesus, after the fact, after all of this happened with Jesus, they went back and they edited the Old Testament to make it line up and to make it match with the way Jesus lived his life, where he was born, how he died, and all those things. And so the, the Old Testament was actually edited after the fact so it would all line up and, and look right. Well... One of the most amazing discoveries that's happened over the last centuries were the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of you may be familiar with them. You may know all about them. Major portions of the Old Testament uh, that were discovered in a cave uh, by the Dead Sea. Archaeologists have verified that these scrolls were written over 100 years before Jesus was born. Okay, they verified this, they know this uh, for fact that they were written 100 years before he was born. And these scrolls verify the validity of the same text that you have in your Bibles in the Old Testament today. It is the exact same, it matches, it lines up. 322 specific promises that were written hundreds of years before Jesus came that came true, that show us... Jesus really came from God. Jesus really is the Messiah. 
He really is the King of kings. He is exactly who he said he was, and that makes him our Savior and our Lord. And here's something else that I think is really interesting. Let's go back to the text that we began with and look at what Moses says here again in verse 15. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. All right, there's going to be a real prophet that comes. There's going to be an ultimate prophet uh, that comes that will be like me, but will be so much more. So as, as you read that and you think, well, how, how was it that Jesus was like Moses? How can we figure all that out? Well, for one, Moses and Jesus were both mediators between God and man, were they not? I mean, I mean they were the same in that capacity. Both of them gave the law. Uh, but the Gospel of Matthew uh, is probably the most Jewish of the writings in the Gospels that we have in the New Testament, and it gives us the best picture uh, of the parallel between Jesus' life and Moses' life when he was here. Matthew chapter 2, we learn that just like Moses, Jesus was brought up out of Egypt. Matthew chapter 3, just like Moses, we see that Jesus began his ministry by coming through the water. For Moses, we know that it was the Red Sea that basically began the ministry of Moses. For Jesus, it was his baptism that we see in water. Matthew chapter 4, just like Moses and Israel, Jesus wanders in the, in the wilderness, right? where he was tempted for 40 days. And when Jesus, and this is really cool, another kind of slant to this, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, Matthew says here in chapter 4 and verse 23, he says what he does is this, he healed all of their diseases. Now what's interesting about that is when Moses was wandering with the Israelites in the wilderness, one of the names of God that he taught the people to call him was Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals all of our diseases. You see the parallel? See the connection? Matthew chapter 5, just like Moses... Jesus goes up on the mountain and gives the people the law, right? It's almost as if when Matthew is writing his gospel, that his whole point is to show us Jesus is the second Moses, right? Jesus is another Moses. He is the prophet like Moses that Moses predicted in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But there also is a big difference, there's similarities, but there's also some huge differences. Listen, Moses was sinful. And because of his sin, he wasn't able to lead his people into the promised land, was he? Jesus, sinless. And because he died for our sins, he was able to lead us into the promised eternity. Right? Moses built a temple so that the people could offer sacrifices and, and be close to God. Jesus became the temple who put away our sins so that God could live in us, right? Moses could only bring people to a place of fear uh, in the presence of God. Jesus brought the presence of God into our hearts and into our lives with a spirit that tells us we are his special sons and daughters. Moses gave the law. People couldn't keep it. The law that Moses gave, people couldn't keep. And we see in Exodus chapter 33 that 3,000 people died because of it at the foot of Mount Sinai. Jesus came and gave us his spirit. Spirit, He died for our sins and 3,000 people were saved in Acts chapter 2 at the foot of Mount Calvary. Moses was a prophet. Jesus was a savior. Moses was a servant of God. Jesus was the son of God. 
Moses, Moses died for his sin, right? He died for his sin and abandoned his people as they went into the promised land. Jesus died for our sin and he was raised to life so that he could say, I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And just like Moses said it would, it came to pass. And like Moses said in verse 15, because of that, what does he say? You must listen to him. There are a lot of voices out there. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that the world is drawn to. But Moses says, there is one coming and it will be proven. The truth is in the, put the proof is in the pudding, right? You're going to see when you look at all this from front to back and back to front, you're going to see and know the one that I'm talking about. Listen to him. And look at what God goes on to tell Moses in verse 19. This is God speaking. He says, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, something else that's hard for us to believe happens. Jesus appears on a mountain with the greatest Two prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses. All right? And Peter's there. And Peter's freaking out because they've been dead, dead for a long time, right? They've been gone, gone for a long time. And, and now all of a sudden, here's Jesus, and here's Elijah, and here's Moses. And Peter was there, and I want you to look at what he says in verse 4 of chapter 17. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, right? I'm glad I didn't miss this. It's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and I'll build one for Elijah. And it's almost like God's voice is just thunders from heaven, basically saying, Peter, shut up, right? Be quiet. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He's the ultimate prophet. Listen to him. So the question is, this morning is this, if God is speaking to you, can you really afford not to? If God is speaking to you, can you really afford not to listen to what he's saying or trying to speak into your life? This is why, this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. It's how majestic this is, that he is the son of God. And all of the Bible has been talking about it for thousands and thousands of years, and it came to pass, right? Listen, you get to live in a time and in a place where you get to hear what people all throughout history have longed to hear, that God has come. He's come to this earth to befriend us, to save us, and to live inside of us. We live in a time uh, that we can experience that and know that. And the whole Bible says from, the, from one cover to the other, the entire Bible is saying, listen to him. Listen to the truth. Listen to what he says. And here's the deal. So many of you have so many Moseses in your life. That's, I know that's not a word. I used it this morning. I understand Moseses is not a word. All right. I get it, but you're, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, we have these Moses in our, in our own life, things that show us and point us to the fact that we need God, right? We have all these things in our life that speak to us and show us and, and turn us to God. And, and maybe for you this morning, I, I don't know what it is for everybody, but maybe for you today, it's just this sense of never being satisfied, 
right? I mean, you've got a job, you've got a good job, maybe you've got, you know, great relationships, but something you know is still just not quite right. Something is, is missing there, and, and you, just, you, you just can't be satisfied. Maybe it's that feeling. Maybe uh, it's that you've had someone close to you. Or, or, or right now, you're going through a situation with someone that's dying, and there's a voice whispering to you while you're taking care of them, and you're looking at them, and you're watching them pass from this earth into an eternity that whispers inside of you that says, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Because every one of us has an appointed time, right? And so that he speaks, and he says, are, are, are you ready? Maybe it's a feeling of guilt. That you have this unsettled feeling when you look in the mirror that that person looking back at you, you really are not very proud of who they are. And you look in the mirror and you think, I'm I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I need to be. Right? These are all Moseses in our life. You see what I'm saying? Things that have been whispering to you. You need Jesus. He's here. Listen to him. Listen to him, and I don't know what it is for you today that he's been whispering to you. Maybe he's not been whispering. Maybe for some of you, he's actually been screaming to try to get your attention. But I know this, he still speaks. We talked about it Wednesday night as we were looking at this story at a little different angle. God still speaks. He he still speaks, And, and, and Moses and all of history is saying, would you listen to him? Would you listen to what he's saying? So can I ask you, what's he been saying to you? Because he's been speaking. And if you're not hearing him, it's just because you've got him tuned out. But what has God been speaking to you? What's he been saying to you? What's he been whispering to you? What's he been screaming to you? Maybe he's been saying to you, you know what, you, you need to make a change. There's a habit or there's a sin or there's something going on in your life that you know good and well you need to clean up. You need to be rid of that and you need to be done with that. And oh, by the way, I know that you can't do it. But with my help, you can. And he wants you to know that. And he wants you to hear that. He wants you to listen to him. Maybe it's a relationship that you just need to reach out and mend. You know, you've got crossways with somebody over something that was dumb. Right? And you just need to mend a relationship. And God's been speaking to you about that. You've been feeling that tug. You've been hearing his voice. He's saying this morning, listen to me. Listen to him. Maybe for some of you, it's a relationship that you need to walk away from, honestly. It's one that you know is not right. It's no, one that you know is not God's will for your life. And it's dragging you down. It's leading you down the wrong path. And God's been telling you that, and you know that. And he's saying this morning, would you listen? Would you listen to me? Maybe he's been calling some of you to some bold action. I don't know. Maybe to be a preacher, be a teacher, be a missionary. God still calls people to do those things. He's still speaking. He's still whispering. He's still yelling. He's still calling. He's still, he's still calling people to Him to do His work. Maybe he's, he's talking to you about taking some bold action or maybe taking a step of faith that you've been hesitant to take. He's been speaking to you about doing something or starting something or giving something. Moses in all of history is saying, listen to Him. Listen, all of history proves to us that what he says is true. It came to pass, and what has been prophesied that has not come to pass is coming. It's true. And he says, listen to him. 
The question for all of us, I believe, today is, what is it, though, that we're listening to? What is it that we listen to today? What has our ear? What speaks the loudest to us? What do we hear most in our ears, in our minds, and in our hearts? And if we are listening to anyone or anything other than Jesus, the Scripture told us earlier that we will give an account for that. There's a day coming when you're going to stand before Him, and He may very well say, you listened to all the wrong people. And because of that, made all the wrong choices and all the wrong decisions. Depart from me because I never knew you. Who are we listening to? And if we're listening to anything or anyone other than Jesus, we're reminded in the prophecies this morning that we'll give an account. We'll give an account for what we know, what we heard, and what we purposefully didn't listen to. And so my prayer for you over these next few weeks as we approach Christmas, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for our church is that we'll slow down enough and get quiet enough to hear what it is that He wants to speak to us and what He wants to speak into our lives because He still speaks. Do you know His voice? Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank You so much today for reminding us today how much You truly loved us. You began to plan and prepare for us and our future Thousands of years ago. <laughs> you had us in mind. You had me in mind. When you created the world, you had us in mind. When you sent your son to this earth as a baby, you had us in mind. When he went to that cross, you had us in mind. And he took our sin, he took our guilt, and he took our shame, and he made it his. But God, because He lives, because He didn't stay in that tomb, we can have life also. And Your Word screams out to us that life only comes through You and being connected to You, being connected to the vine. So God, today it's my prayer that if there would be anyone here that's not connected, that knows their first step, their first bold step, is just to surrender their lives to You, and begin a relationship with you, God. I, I pray that maybe through something they've heard here today, they would have a little more faith and a little more confidence in who you are and what you've done for them. That today they would just find a place and a time to get with you and surrender their life to you and to walk in faith. And God, I, I just pray that as we go out from here that we would be a church that not only would be listening I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would also be doers as well. And I pray that you would find us faithful and you would find us obedient in the things that you are speaking into our lives. Because you never stop speaking. You've always, you're always speaking into us. And so, God, I pray that we would just quiet ourselves, slow ourselves enough to hear what you're saying, be faithful and be obedient and be doers and not just hearers. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for our church. And so, God, we need your help, and we know that, and we understand that, and we thank you for your help, and we thank you for your love. 
We thank you for this reminder today that you have proved time and time and time again who you are and what you, what you did for us. And so we thank you for that awesome reminder of your love today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Hope you have a great day.